This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, the pitching staff is still the headline for the 22 Mets as they now rock a record of 9-3. and 9-3, and three, a wonderful place to be after a sweep of San Francisco. In short, Tyler McGill came back down to earth in Game 1, but in Game 2, Max Scherzer blasted into orbit, coming close to what he'd done against the Mets at the end of 2015. Not a no-hitter, but it was a one-hitter through seven dominant innings for Max that helped the Mets fans stay nice and toasty on an otherwise chilly Tuesday night. Let us warm your cockles. This is Mets in the Morning. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. As we've said on this program before, nothing worse than a case of cold cockles. Maybe a tanning regimen, as endorsed by Tucker Carlson, would help. Josh Lewin with you. Last season, the Mets played 14 doubleheaders. They went 18-10 and 10 in those 28 games. Well, that wasn't bad, but so far this year, one doubleheader down. The record is 2-0. A sweep of a team that had come in 7-2 and, and not having allowed three runs in a game all year. The Mets got 3-5 and five in the doubleheader, and those runs were enough. Solo occupancy at first place in the NL East, a tremendous way to start this 60th anniversary season. 121 and 41 pace. I know that's unlikely, but uh, what did Casey Kasem used to say? Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Why not dream a little? Because, man, these guys look good. We're going to go through what happened in the doubleheader Tuesday night at City Field. First things first, injury updates. Everybody loves injury updates. It's like getting the, the notice from your HOA that dues are due at the end of the month, but you got to open the envelope, right? Brandon Nimmo is off the COVID IL, which is awesome. Mark Canna still needs a little longer. Taiwan Walker with that right shoulder bursitis did throw a bullpen session on Sunday. His next appearance could come in a rehab start. Jake Reed threw a scoreless inning for St. Lucie over the weekend. Reed missed pretty much all of spring training with an injured oblique. Jacob deGrom's checkup MRI is scheduled for about a week from now, and if he's cleared, he can start building his arm back in a regular season shape. That would be great. So on to the Tuesday night show. Two nine-inning games yesterday, and the talk going in was, of course, the pitching for the Mets, the quartet of McGill, Carrasco, Peterson, and who am I leaving out here? Uh, McGill... Correct. Oh, and Bassett, sorry, uh, had allowed two earned runs in 37 and a third innings. That little combo. That's an ERA of 0.48. Yes, the 48 in honor of DeGrom's uniform number. But uh, the Giants, they've got great pitching, too. First team in a very long time to roll out with two runs or less given up in each of their first nine games. Got to go back to 1966. But with all the sizzling pitching, 
Well, this was actually a 4-4 game in game one about halfway through. Part of the Giants' batting attack was a young third baseman, Jason Vossler, West Nyack, New York native, Don Bosco Prep in Jersey. Yankee fan, not a Met fan growing up, but still a nice story. First two hits of his 22 coming at City Field in those first three innings. Part of the Giants taking a 4-1 to lead, and really the first time we've seen McGill without his real good stuff. But he battled through innings 4, 5, and 6, had zeros on the board and all of those. He found a way. He defended the fort and allowed enough time for the Mets to strike back with a three-run fifth inning to tie it up. Travis Jankowski beating out a potential rally-killing double play ball was a big part of that. Doubles from J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil as well, but the big hit was this one. one one little indoor. Line towards right field, base hit tie game. Hustling towards the line, Yastrzemski. Lindor digging for second. Yastrzemski's throw on a few hops, not in time. It's a double for Francisco Lindor. And the Mets have tied it 4-4. to four. Three runs in here in the last of the fifth inning. Lindor would also steal third, making it 11 steals in 11 games at this point for the Mets. Last year, they stole their 11th base in their 41st game. And back to spring training, remember Lindor told everybody he'd like to see the Mets steal 100 bases this year. They're certainly on that pace. Last year, they stole 54. Of course, they added Starling Marte, who had 47 all by himself last year. So uh, you, you look at the rest of this thing here, and it's tough not to just pause and say, wait a minute, Lindor is hitting above 300, and so is McNeil. Two guys who both struggled mightily last April, then fought each other in May. This year, Lindor with as many extra base hits as strikeouts. McNeil in that new uniform, number one, running around scoring runs like Mookie Wilson used to do in that number. And by the way, for Starling Marte to pirate away that number six from McNeil back in the spring training, the former pirate has now paid up a brand new Rolex for Jeff McNeil that'll complement that Mickey Mouse bling that Marte wears in game. That pendant. Very hard to miss. The two oversized black ears crowning Mickey's head, uh, the traditional red shorts, the the white gloves, the classic yellow shoes on Mickey. That necklace, a gift from Starling's girlfriend, Eliani, gave it to him uh, when they were in Paris right before the start of spring training. Marte has said, my kids and I love cartoons. He's got five kids, says Marte. They range in age from uh, 12 years old down to about a year old. Everybody loves Disney. So that's why he's rocking that uh, little necklace. Anyway, this game was still 4-4 until the 10th. The old ghost runner had the Giants in business in the top of the 10th inning, but the Mets kept it scoreless thanks to replay. There was a poor throw from Lindor with runners at the corners two out, and at first this was ruled to have pulled Alonzo off the bag at first. But upon further review, the polar bear had scraped his bottom claw against the bag, so take the run off the board. Let's let Lindor bat in the bottom of the inning. Two on, two out, and here you go. No balls, two strikes on Lindor. Garcia's pitch. Swing a long drive towards center field. That's going to get down. A base hit. It rolls toward the wall in right center. Nemo scores, and Francisco Lindor comes through. Mitch win in 10, 5-4 the final as Lindor gets bobbed by his teammates around the first base bag, jumping up and down with the group. Francisco Lindor's first walk-off hit as a New York Met, and it beats the Giants in 10 innings, 5-4. to four. Wayne Randazzo with the call on WCBS, the first walk-off hit for Lindor since 2018. What a start for him on base in every game so far. 
Five runs, eight hits, no errors for the Mets. Four, nine, and one for the Giants, who at this point fell behind the Mets, dropping to seven and three as the Mets went to eight and three. After it was over, Buck Showalter meeting the media, talking about what he got from young Mr. McGill in the middle innings after the second and third innings hadn't gone real well. Boy, his last inning was impressive. I tell you, that's a game that you know wasn't much going his way. I think three of the hits were kind of through where you normally play. And uh, I tell you, he got he got a little uh, competitive there. That last inning, it was uh, impressive. I think that's that's the type of things you look for in young pitchers as much as you know a couple of good starts. But uh, you know, he was a little uh, they were on. You know, I could tell they were in full ambush mode early, and uh, he made the adjustment. Made the adjustment. Really hard day to pitch. I'm telling you, he'll do anything. It's some kind of cold out there. What do you think? I'm sure it's going to warm up a lot for game two. <laughs> how, uh, how quick? How, he he was asking me something. I, I was just going to what have you made of the way Lindor's kind of risen to the moment early uh, this season? You know, Lenny, uh, you know, Pete's staying on the bag there. It's a really hard play. And, uh, you know, we're lucky to have the best replay guy in the business and, and, uh, and uh, our guy. So. Okay, that's good. But it was a good play. It was a good play, but the, Lenny seems to be dealing up what we need just about every time. I was going to ask you about those replays. I mean, both were very, very close. I mean, you guys were able to turn that around pretty fast to get a good look at both plays. Well, it's also, I, I originally said, you know, we got nothing to lose at that stage. The first one there? Was no, the second one. And But Harrison, when I called him back, I said, just taking a chance that we got nothing to lose. He goes, no, I actually think he might be on the back. Harrison's... I, you know, a lot of as good as you know. He's, he's very good at that. If you don't believe me, ask him. All right, Mets win on the walk-off. Lindor, the only Met that game with more than one hit. It was a game that featured Luis Guillorme pinch running completely unrecognizably. That bushy beard, which has been his signature, it's gone. Uh, you, you start the season 0 for 10, you lose the beard. I think is the rule there. So uh, we do need to. Remember the contributions of some others in this game. Alonzo, even with the 0 for 4, he had the game-saving stretch at first and the top of the 10th. Let's remember what happened to Pete barely over a month ago. That uh, Ford pickup being T-boned by a car that had run the red light at that Tampa intersection. So lucky to be alive, he says. And here he is playing D, knocking in runs, doing it all in Major League year number 4. 11 of his National League leading 14 RBIs as a DH. But that play in the 10th, a subtle reminder, he is decent with the glove as well. On to Game 2, Max Scherzer against Logan Webb. And there was a point last year when Webb kind of turned a corner from being just an interesting young number 5 starter with some upside to being an ace. And it was pretty much right when Scherzer was traded from Washington to L.A. Webb had a two-start sequence against the Dodgers in late July just as Max was getting there. And Webb was phenomenal. Kind of a throwback, sinker, slider, righty, Tim Hudson type. Boy, remember that gruesome injury Tim Hudson had at City Field at first base when Eric Young Jr. inadvertently stepped on his ankle? Ugh, I hated that. Well, uh, Webb would not have his best stuff in this one, but Scherzer absolutely did. This was his home debut as a Met. He had opened his Mets career with starts in Washington and Philly 22 times before last night. Scherzer had pitched in New York, including one occasion as a rookie at Shea, but he had never experienced a game like this, pitching for New York instead of against New York, and he had tamed the Giants in the playoffs last year, gave up a uh, Brandon Crawford homer in that one, but otherwise a shutout in seven strong innings. 
Seven strong. That was what we're talking about on the other coast now, too. Darren Ruff had the only hit Max allowed. It was an RBI single to drive home Brandon Belt in the sixth inning. Belt, by the way, if I can go down a rabbit hole, he's got baseball's best slugging percentage since the start of 2020. Is that nuts? He's at 600. Tatis, 598. Acuna, 591. Bryce Harper, 589. Jose Ramirez and Juan Soto at 572. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 570. So, yeah, Brandon Belt scoring in the sixth inning after he walked, but by then, the Mets had three on the board. All three in the bottom of the third when Eduardo Escobar doubled in a pair. Dom Smith followed with a single-scoring Escobar. The Mets really grinding out tough at bats. Escobar's double was on pitch number eight that he saw that followed a seven-pitch walk coaxed by Pete Alonso. So, he had 3-1 New York into the eighth. Drew Smith, who's been quite a fine, did allow a hit just the second of the game, but he pitched around it, kept his ERA perfect in seven innings. Trevor May, not Edwin Diaz with the ninth, because Edwin pitched in the opener. May needing only 11 pitches to claim the save. Three runs, eight hits, no errors for the Mets. 1-2-0 and oh for the Giants in a game that was played in a lickety split, two hours, 40 minutes. Scherzer flirting with a no-hitter and was through five innings at 68 pitches. Garrett Cole for the Yankees last night. Yanked at 68 pitches after an inning and two-thirds. He had walked five in one inning. Brandon Crawford's brother-in-law, by the way, if you're scoring at home. The Mets starter's ERA is now ballooned to one and a half, with McGill having stumbled in those two innings back in game one. Otherwise, right now, it would be Brooklyn 9-9. That is 0.99 for your rotation's ERA without Jacob deGrom. Scherzer's won all three of his starts this year. The last Met to start and win each of his first three appearances with the team. You'll never get this one. Never. Never. I could give you a thousand guesses. You'll never get it. You ready? Jorge Sosa in 2007. I know, right? Uh, Max winning his 14th straight regular season decision. That's a career best winning streak. Uh, you've got uh, 4-1, and one, 1.87 career now against the Giants. And he's won nine straight decisions at City Field. That's the longest win streak in the history of the ballpark. We should point out six scoreless innings from the bullpen in this doubleheader. That deserves a shout-out. And the Mets' batting average with two outs and runners in scoring position this year is now 354. Last year it was about 200. So yet another log to throw on the roaring fire that explains why 2022 Looks and feels so much better than 2021. Here is the manager after game two on Mad Max and more. See our guys, you know, Max was a pickup pick for us after such an emotional, challenging game to climb back in that first one and finally figure out a way at the end to have Max there to, in that second game was big because it's just hard to maintain that uh, sense of urgency intensity. Uh, in 18 innings, and especially in that those conditions and weather, but Max was a pickup pickup force, and we were able to push a few. Had some two out base hits, a lot of them today. Big at bat from Pete, you know, we pull a walk out of a situation didn't look good initially. Well, I tell you, they got a lot of good arms. I mean, that last guy was the guy they just brought up as I believe as a 29th guy. That's pretty good arm. Unrelatedly, um, you obviously got Nimmo back. Do you have optimism on Canna for tomorrow or any clarity on Canna? Not yet. Um, I just talked to Billy about it before I had to come down here. Um, there's that possibility. It's all about the testing and the, the scores and you know the number of negative tests they get before they clear them. He's close. You know, Glenn's close. But um, you know, we've got 
some other support people out too that have been a challenge for us with some things they normally do. Obviously, the players are more important. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, now, turns out Buck will not be managing the game tonight. He says he's got a medical procedure scheduled, but does hope to be in the dugout again come Thursday. Bench coach Glenn Sherlock normally would take over, but he's still on the COVID list. So the guess is third base coach Joey Cora will get the reins tonight. And if that's the case, the team will be in very capable hands. Obviously, best wishes for Buck to get through whatever this is and quickly come right on back ASAP. He does have a win percentage of 750. Chris Bassett is on the mound for the Mets tonight. He's been pitching like the scion caliber ace the Mets thought they were getting when they acquired him. And, you know, when you talk about Carlos Rodon for San Francisco, it's a guy that the Mets kicked the tires on, and he uh, ended up replacing Kevin Gossman in the Giants rotation instead. And with Rodon's health history, it's kind of like they're just banking on, we can get two years out of this guy, and then whatever happens after that, we don't really care. I mean, that's just kind of the, the feel that you get with what the Giants are doing with Rodon. The Giants don't really value pitchers in the traditional sense. They've got no interest in the workhorse who eats 200 innings and has the, the four ERA anymore, the Jeff Samarja guy they used to have all the time. They just want absolute dominance in a short burst because they've got this great bullpen. So they say to Rodon, give me five innings or six innings, and then we, we got your back at that point. And that's pretty much what he's done so far for them. Game time just after 7 o'clock tonight. Don't forget the matinee on Thursday before the Mets head off to the desert southwest to face the rather fang-free Arizona Diamondbacks. They've got a team batting average of 152. I'm not kidding, 152. The Mets right now fifth in the majors in batting average. They are first in OBP, third in runs scored, best of all, number one in ERA, overtaking the team they just swept in the double dip. Oh, and from the minors, although Syracuse is still struggling a bit, those three stud prospects at Double-A Binghamton batting 2-3-4 in the Rumble Ponies batting order. You got 20-year-old catcher Francisco Alvarez leading the Eastern League in OPS at about 1350. Then Brett Beatty has an OPS of 1100. And then the shortstop Ronnie Mauricio has an OPS of 1000. Three of the top five OPSs in the Eastern League, they bat all in a row for bingo. All right, that's it for the podcast. Many thanks to the Mets in the Morning House Band. They do such a great job, don't they? On keyboard, say hello to Albert Almora Jr. Slap into bass, Roy Lee Jackson. The horn section, Randy Neiman. And on the drums, reliever Rob Carson. This is Josh Lewin. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. It's all about the first place New York Metropolitans. Tune in again tomorrow. Tell your friends we're here. Thanks so much. Take care.